I'm going to talk about this as kind of an extended pre-announcement before my sermon. And, um, and so as they pass this out, um, I'll show you a couple of things. Basically, the Extend initiative is why we are here at Gettysburg Middle School and not back in our property on Middle Street. Um, we've, we've had a couple hundred people um, visit our church since we moved here a year ago. And, uh, and so there's, we, I know that there's a lot of you who don't even know anything about our church on Middle Street, didn't even know we existed there, what we did. We're kind of catacorner to Kenny's. And uh, we're here as they're building a building, a uh, new building for us. Uh, go to ahead, Joe. I want to show, just show the rendering of that first. This is what we hope the building will look like. I think, I say hope it should look like that. Maybe brick a little be a little different Um, but uh, this is what we're currently building on Mill Street why we're here at the middle school and the reason why this is called extend and where this all came from the word extend there has a crane on it and got the crane here on the stage is because of what God put in our hearts several years ago now almost four years ago it's amazing how time flies um, of why we were to build a building you know you don't just build a building because it could be other ways for your church to grow or to do different things but the Lord had put it in our heart to build a building it came from this image of a crane because a crane's ability to reach and to do its job, to do its work, has everything to do with its base. And we were really running out of room in a lot of different ways on Middle Street, but if you weren't here last week, I'm gonna say this again, because this to me is so important. You know, the size of our sanctuary, you should know this, the size of our sanctuary was limited, not by our money, actually not by um, how many people we thought we, we could fit in the sanctuary. You know, the size of the sanctuary was limited by the amount of parking spaces that we have on our property being in town. And the reason for that is, and I think that's a good reason you should all know, is that we felt from the very beginning that God didn't want us to build some huge church out in the country. We feel like we are a church for Gettysburg, to be in Gettysburg, to be in a walking distance from all the different people that need us in town. There's a lot of women's shelters and single mom homes and and, um, even our Celebrate Recovery Ministry, the homeless ministry that meets in our building. We just feel like our building is for the community. And so for us, Everything has been limited by the fact of our vision saying that we want to be a church in Gettysburg. And, and, and that's important to me. I, I think that might be important to some of you, and I wanted you to know that. But we knew that we could do better with what we had on our, on our property. And so we are. Um, but boy, I tell you, you know, even, even for a church, the second service, even here today in our new building, we'll be fairly full in our new building. We'll deal with those issues later. But it doesn't matter because you know why? We're going to be completing the mission and the vision that God has given us for Gettysburg. So if that means we need to plant a church every year, uh, then, then, then so be it. God will take care of that anyway. So this is uh, what's next. Um, it was, um, go to ahead, Joe. I'm, I'm out of order. I'm sorry. But why we needed to, to do it, you see it there in the brochure. In fact, do me a favor. You just put the brochures away for a second. I'll highlight a couple pages. Then you can look at them all day, all right? Because you're like, you're off. You're gone. You're not paying any attention. Uh, the rest of you who are on Facebook, you can pause for a second too, okay. Um, so, so our church has grown and just kind of consistently grown, and it's kind of hard to see that number there, 607 last year, but you see that in your, in your bulletin or in your, in your what's next brochure. And, and a couple years ago, we received just over 1.4 million for the building, which was great and which is really what we needed. We were hoping for 1.5 million. We came just 50,000 short of that, which is pretty, pretty close and pretty good, and we were able to get started. Um, but, but here's the deal. There's two things that happen. People's lives, people move away, things happen in people's lives. And so as we expected, there's a little bit of attrition 
that happens in the giving, and so we fell a little short of the 1.44 million that we received um, that we, we need to really strive to kind of make up for because we don't want to get a bigger loan, we don't wanna have to deal with other issues. But then secondly, and, and this is kind of one of those weird providences of God, but we thought we'd be moving in the building by now and that's why we did a two-year campaign. Well, not everything goes according to plan or the way you want it to go, unfortunately. And so here we are now with about seven months or eight months to go and, uh, and I think God has given us this opportunity as so many of you are new to our church and weren't even a part of this a couple of years ago and very, I'm very humbled by this, the amount of people who've been giving to this building project for two years that say, I'm, I'm, I wanna continue and extend my giving, which is a humbling thing for a pastor um, to hear from people. And so we, we, we have, a, we have a, a new goal between now and then to possibly get us some things that we never thought were possible but we have this extra time now, which is, I think, really something that's been a blessing from God. But go back to the, the previous slide before I share that with you. You need to know some of the miracles that are along the way. It's unbelievable. Make sure you read through that because I don't want to take more time, but I'll show you one, one cool miracle because there's been so many. Um, but this summer, the city is going to be um, putting in part of the Gettysburg bike path on the backside of our property. And this, what is so amazing about this is they've been trying to build this bike path for, I don't know, 10, 12 years. Before we moved here, um, they were even talking about it. When we first moved in 10 years ago, someone invited Jerry to be on a board to talk about, about this bike path. Well, here it is, federal funding they received and all this red tape they've had to go through. They got it and they're gonna start building the bike path this summer as we are completing um, the site work around our building. And they're gonna coincide together. And it's such God's time, it's unbelievable. They're gonna redo the Tiber and build it with landscape that's gonna blend into our landscape. We save tens of thousands of dollars because we don't actually have to landscape because that's part of their plan that we don't have to do. And when we went to do this, we wanted to build the building to the size that it was, but we were short some property. And how often does this happen? Um, the city came to us before they knew we were gonna do this and said, hey, would it be okay? I mean, you could tell that most people don't agree to these things. Could we maybe use your property to put the bike path and, and a place for people to stop and sit on a bench on your property. And I'm like, yeah, let me think about it. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, the city's asking me to bring people onto our property. Are you kidding me? That sounds wonderful to me. Um, and, then, and then I said, you know, I do have something though that you could do for me. They're like, yeah, what is it? Because they really needed our property. I need a little bit more property. What would you say if you gave me some property that no one has claimed along our property lines and I'll let you put the bike path on? And you know what? I mean, there's no way that we'd have agreed to that. And they totally did. They gave us property. We gave them room on our property. We got exactly what we needed. And the, the thing is, all this happened in the same six-month time frame that both of us needed. There's no coincidence to those things. You need to understand that. And so it's just been amazing what God has done. And we're just so glad that we can still be a church right there on Mill Street, right there within walking distance of several ministries that we want to continue to support. So there's more miracles than that. But listen, what's the goal? And it's kind of a big goal, but I think it's very attainable. You guys are such an amazing church. But what we're hoping for is to raise 450000 in commitments, but obviously come through with the actual finances of that um, between now and next September, which would enable us to actually put these things into the building that we never planned to do at the beginning. And this gives you all, all the gist of it, but the biggest things are kids and youth um, equipment and furnishings, getting them, you know, sound systems and lights and chairs and all those things that the kids and, and, uh, and the youth need, which is super important. It doesn't go into the cost of actually designing the building. But then also something that the kids and youth utilize all the time is a, a full service um, commercial kitchen for their activities, for the activities the church does, and uh, all of that uh, together uh, with, other, with some other furnishings. But to me, the most important things is kids and youth and, and kitchen, things like that. Um, but that's probably around $450,000. 
And so we're just asking you to think and pray about how you could be a part of that and support that. We're, we're hoping to receive commitments now and for the next month and not have to keep talking about this, but just let God take care of it. And so we want you to think and pray about it. You've got a commitment card there inside what's next that you can think about over the next several weeks. Pray as a family. We gave you something in here that says, how can my family do more, support more? And we gave you some great ideas like, you know, cut out uh, certain parts of your cable. You know, get, that, some, some people pay 150 bucks a month. That, that can go a long ways towards something or uh, cut, someone put cut coffee. I mean, that's just wrong, okay? That, you don't have to listen to that one. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, it could be anything. Maybe not going out to dinner, whatever it would be, but that you could be a part of this. And um, we just invite you to be a part of it. If you're visiting, I'm sorry for some of the family business, but it, I, I want you to know too what, what our church is doing and, and what our heart is and how we want to be a church in Gettysburg, and hopefully that you appreciate that as well. Um, lastly, there's going to be a meeting where I'm going to go into much more detail and let you answer, let, let you ask all the questions and try to give you some answers. That's Monday, March 20th. That's a week from tomorrow, as long as we don't have another snowstorm. <laughs> uh, that'll be at our new Oxford campus at 6.30, and so there's a sign-up sheet in the back, and I'm sure that'll be online as well, and so make sure you just check with us. We'd love to have you. All right, that's enough for the little commercial, but we don't take time to do this very often, and um, so forgive me for that, but I think it's so important you know what's going on and what we're aiming for, and, and I, I just pray that you would be able to help us and support us in, in, in what we're doing, all right? So just as a, a fun break in between that and jumping in my message, if you have a Bible, turn to Jeremiah 29, Jeremiah 29, and as you do, because I've been hearing so much, I was in California, it was 85 this last week, uh, it wasn't so bad, uh, and as I've been heading back, Jerry's like, the storm is coming, everybody's talking about the storm, and sure enough, as I landed yesterday, and everybody's just talking about it, you know, you got to get, we're going to let service out early today, so you can go get bread and milk, because uh, I'm, I'm really concerned, because if you don't get it Monday night, you may not be able to go anywhere for a whole day, and uh, you're going to need toilet paper, I'm sure you're going to be running out of everything everything in that 24 hours. And so we want to release you to get ahead of the crowds. Uh, but this is a funny video that a, a, a guy just did at his home on his uh, iPhone and, uh, and it went viral. And I think he got like 2.3 million hits. And if you haven't seen this, this is just kind of mocking the North Carolina news report of a terrible winter storm that's coming. All right. No offense to you, North Carolinas. Thanks, Ellen. People are waking up this morning and saying, oh my God, we had no idea it was going to be this bad in Charlotte. You could see back here on the streets, I don't even know how you could get a snowmobile through this, nonetheless a car. We're, we're getting reports right now that people are, are, are that got trapped in their cars in this white blanket of death that we're seeing here. It's totally, uh, it just, uh, my, my source at the weather station said they had no idea it could even get this bad. Um, but what Charlotte did last night when there was a shortage of salt was quite brilliant. They set up these survival stations, as you can see behind me, that are just, just strategically placed all over Charlotte. If you can make your way to one of these. Showing you right now. You can get your daily ration of milk and bread to help keep you alive for as long as possible. So if you can make your way to one of these stations, please do, I advise it. Get your milk, get your bread, it might just save your life. And like I said before, we told these people at the weather station, one of my, one of my closest friends doing this for 38 years, told me, he said, Steve, it hasn't been this bad since the last time it did nothing. From all of us here at My Phone 5 News, I'm Stephen Wolfall. All right. <laughs> so we're going to let you out early because I'm, I'm highly concerned. You better get your milk and your bread. Okay. Um, well, let's jump into this today. We're going to finish off 
our service uh, with communion, and I'm excited for that. And as we're talking about Extend, that's our vision for our building project. But Extend, the, the, even part of the reason why it, we called it that is because this is part of the mission of our church. Just like Jesus extended himself, John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he sent, he gave Jesus. We don't, we don't serve a God, we don't believe, we're not part of a religion that thinks you have to get to God. Christianity is all about believing in a God who came to get you and knew that you had no way to get to him. And so he extended himself. God didn't have to. He did it out of pure love and pure desire of relationship with each of us. And he extended himself, gave his son to us. And so as a church, we feel like it's our responsibility to do, to do the same thing, to extend ourselves to others. And that's really what I'm talking about today, what the series is about, Extend, that our city may prosper. Um, it's not just a nice idea that we have um, but it comes from Scripture. And I, I mentioned Gettysburg a lot because that happens to be where this location is at for our church and I have another location in the New Oxford area. But, but just as we're here just talking about Gettysburg, but really you insert the name of the city, the neighborhood, the community, where you work, where you live, where God has placed you, that's where God wants you to extend your life into the people's lives that are around you. And so we, we, we get this concept from Jeremiah 29. It's not an idea that we have. It, it comes from Scripture. And, um, and so let me read this to you, Jeremiah 29. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Okay, verse 5, hold on. If you weren't here last week, let me give you the quick context of this. God is now saying, I'm, I'm giving you this message. I'm going to speak to you, all those who are in exile in Babylon that were taken there from Jerusalem. And the bottom line is the people, the nation of Israel, which now had become the nation of Judah, was, was conquered by Nebuchadnezzar in this nation of Babylon. And it was, a, it, was a, it was a really rough and tough and very different nation than the nation of Israel. They worshiped very different gods. They valued very different things. They did not line up in, in, in a lot of ways morally, ethically with who the Jews were. And so they were, they were taken to the capital city and it was a very difficult time for them because they felt like, we talked about this last week, they felt like they lost all of their national identity, their cultural identity, their religious identity. They didn't have religious freedom anymore. They didn't have a king that was their own. They had another king. And it, it just everything felt foreign. And, and as any of us would do, when you get taken into a place where you don't feel comfortable, you don't feel liked, you, you, you don't feel like you fit in or you belong, you have a tendency to kind of just shrink up and kind of, kind of go back in the corner, kind of go. Do you, have you ever been in a situation like that? You just don't feel like you belong, you, don't, you feel very uncomfortable, you don't have a tendency not to jump in but to kind of pull back. And God told the nation of Judah, no, you're not allowed to pull back while you're in Babylon. I need you to actually build. And that's what we talked about last week, is to be fruitful. Even if we don't feel like um, we fit in in the world or in our communities or in our neighborhoods, whether it's because we're someone who follows Jesus or just another aspect of who we are. God never tells us to pull back. He wants us to continue to, to push forward and to place ourselves in people's lives and be fruitful there as God will allow us to be to make a difference in that situation, in those lives, in that community. So God is now speaking to these people as they're being carried away into a foreign land with a foreign king and a foreign government, a foreign religion, and he's going to challenge them in a big way. Verse 5, I want you to build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there and do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And so this is one of the most, I mean, most any commentator, historian, biblical historian will tell you, one of the most like audacious, like 
just crazy statements in all of the Old Testament that God would tell them to pray for the peace and the prosperity of this foreign nation. And it totally catches them off guard. And you know what? It, It catches us off guard when Jesus says things like, I want you to love your enemies, doesn't it? I mean, it's easy to love people that you already love or people who you want them to love you. It's another thing to love and to pray for, to believe for peace and prosperity for people who you don't like, right? I mean, here's a, here's a great example. Someone sent this to me during the Super Bowl. I'm still finally getting over the Super Bowl. Uh, I didn't care about the Falcons, but did you see this? Here, here's the people who want Atlanta to win the Super Bowl. The black line represents Falcon fans, and the red was just everybody else who hates the Patriots, right? I mean, are, are you with me? Right? We're just all rooting against the Patriots, and uh, the Falcons just happened to be the team that was there, right? I mean, that's, that's funny. I mean, that went around like, like everywhere because... Like the Patriots, people say, is like, you know, the, the team that people love to hate, and there's other teams like that as well. Um, but the, there's something about, you don't, they've been successful, you know, and they have it, and so it's just easy to say, I don't wish them more success. And just as stupid as a football analogy would be, think about how difficult it was in real life for the Jewish people to actually gain a concept and a heart to say, I want you to pray that the people of Babylon have peace, and have prosperity. I mean, that challenge, I mean, we'd feel that way. I mean, that's how we would feel. No, God, I don't want to do it, right? Right, if God, if God tells you, I want you to love your boss after he or she has mistreated you, I, I want you to love your coworker who, who you know doesn't, do, doesn't work as hard as you, maybe has mistreated you, and then you come home one day in prayer, God says, hey, I want you to pray for your coworker to get a raise. Come on, let's be real. You, you, are you doing that? Are you like, oh God, thank you. I've been, I was hoping that she would get a raise. I mean, I just, she's been treating me so badly and yes, I'm excited to pray for her peace and prosperity. No, I mean, what is God doing here? He's getting to the heart of the Jewish people. He's getting to the heart and I think he's wanting to create his heart in them in this nation of Babylon. And so, so listen, it, it's simple, but it's something that we need to think about and really the title this week is to be a caregiver for our city, for the city, and what does that mean? Number one, and really this is my biggest kind of main point, is that we have to care about people. We have to care about people. I mean, I contemplated just saying that and closing up and going home, but we'll give some illustration. But really, let's let's not jump to step two too quickly, because it is so easy to just simply not care about people, isn't it? We care about people we like, we care about people we we want to get to know, that, that, that we enjoy. But God challenged them, he challenges us, he challenges all of us. If you can be someone who says, I wanna follow Jesus, God is gonna challenge you every day of your life to care for people, especially the people who you're not naturally caring for. That would be the ones he's gonna tell you to care for. And, and how do I even, where do I come up with this? Why, why, why do I know that God wants them to care for people? Well, it's interesting that this word for seek, there in verse seven, seek the peace and prosperity of the city. There's a few Hebrew words for seek, but this particular one for seek means, it comes from a root idea, which means to go somewhere, to do something. And that's where it kind of gets this idea to seek, means not to just kind of be looking, but it means to be going and inquiring. It means to be seeking with care, that you're, you're invested in the process. And so God tells the people of Judah, you're not going to just go hide out in the corner. You're not going to go just do your own thing because you disagree with them or because you don't like the way they look or what they believe in or what they worship or how they live their lives or whatever it is. He says, I want you to seek their peace and prosperity and not just seek it like, okay, we'll pray for them once a month. 
No, actually God wanted them to be invested in the process to actually have this care and concern in seeking their peace and prosperity. And quite frankly, I mean, that, that rubbed them the wrong way, just like it would rub us the wrong way when God would tell us, whoever our enemy might be or someone we don't get along with, that God says, I want you to go and care for them and their peace and prosperity. Why would God ever do such a thing? <laughs> because He wants us to be more like Him. He wants us to be His hands and His feet in our cities. To be a caregiver, man, I haven't been in ministry that long, but 10 years here is long enough to know that being a caregiver, I think, is one of the hardest things I've ever watched somebody do. I've had so many people in our church that I've sat there with and cried there with as they've, they've been a caregiver to a parent, and eventually that parent passes away, and, and I, I can see the ambivalence in their, in their, in their hearts where they're excited that this person's passed away because they've been suffering, but also they, they feel a little bit guilty because it's also sucked every bit of their life out. And, and because to be a caregiver it is like one of the most selfless things that you can ever do for, for a parent or for a spouse or for someone in your life. You're, you're doing it, maybe, maybe the only selfish part, if you will say, is because you love somebody, but you're not getting anything back. You're doing it purely because it is your responsibility, it is your, your, your calling or your, you know, your, your place in their life to love them and to give them care. And you're doing all that. And you know what? It, as tough as it is, as I've watched that, and boy, I just have such a deep, uh, profound respect and just admiration for those who have given such wonderful care to spouses and to parents, that, that it, it really fits along with what God says is that, you know what, I want you to care about your city that way. I want you to, I want you to be concerned to inquire and to look into your city and to care about them. This is something, at least for me, I was thinking about this as I was flying back yesterday. I, I don't know that I was really taught this as I was growing up in church. I know it was really important to, to know Jesus, to follow him, to not do wrong things. And I mean, I, it was always very much a focus of, you know, to, to know Jesus, to follow him and not do bad things. And I, I never had the sense that, that people drove home to me that, you know what, just like knowing Jesus and following him, it's equally as important as maybe the morality side is the other side of morality, which is it is our responsibility to love our neighbors and to care for them and to actually be concerned about them. So God is telling the nation of Judah, man, I want you to seek the peace and prosperity of Babylon. I want you to care about these people. It's crazy. James 2 kind of talks about it in the New Testament. Um, he's talking about our faith. He says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is that? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, it is dead. And there's been so many arguments kind of over whether James is talking about salvation and having to have works, and I, I think that kind of misses the whole point, if you're familiar with those debates. If not, lucky you. Um, but really what James is basically saying is, listen, it's just really on the surface, not hard. He says, if you have clothing and you have food, and you see someone without either of those, and you're like, hey, man, I really wish you fine clothes and food. I'll see you later. Like he says, that does, you, that does them no good. You have food and you have clothing, and yet it is useless to the people that are around you because you have only hold, holding on to it for yourself. He says, in the same way, our faith in Jesus should affect the people that are around us. It should not be useless, but it should actually affect and have, have a, 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 a dynamic effect, really, on the people's lives around us. It ought to move us to care and to love for other people. He says, if it doesn't, like, what is the point of that faith? 
It's just completely useless because faith is actually, actually supposed to make a difference in our lives and because of that, a difference to the people that are around us. Uh, Eugene Peterson quotes that last part of James 2.17 in the message version. Isn't it obvious that God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense? <laughs> it's true. You probably have heard the lines been attributed to many people, but people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. You ever heard that line? People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. I, I just tell you, I just speak for those of you, many of you here who, who you know, would call yourself a Christian who follow Jesus. Listen, we, we need to come back to that so often, <laughs> right? Because your, your coworkers, your family members, your friends, those people who maybe don't agree with you with how you believe in Jesus, but they don't care what you know about God if they don't think you first just care about them. It's such a simple thing, and I think we miss it so often. In fact, as I was um, flying back yesterday, my, my son, five-year-old, was with me, and Zachary, he does pretty good on planes, and he was really quiet, and so I was just trying to read and pay attention. And the people behind me, if you've ever been on a plane where this happens, I mean, they're having a conversation, and it was like they both had earphones in, and they were having a hard time hearing each other. Yeah, yeah, I mean, they're just talking, it is so loud. And so I could tell you everything they talked about for three and a half hours. Uh, and it was fascinating, and, and I was kind of curious, I was trying to focus and finish preparing for today, but I, I knew where this was going before it even got there, but I could just, I could hear her talk, and I I could just gather some information from her, and I could hear him talking. I'm like, yeah, and eventually he gets into it, and he just, he started flaunting, I'm an atheist, I don't believe in God, and he's talking about this and that, and, and she had mentioned several times about going to church, and he's like, you go to church? Yeah, you, you actually believe in God, and then here it goes, and I'm like, oh, man, uh, and, uh, and so they go, they, they talk now about everything, everything, I mean, 10 rows of people are listening to this. That was great. Um, from, from, from sexuality to immigration, I mean, they covered it, right? And basically, he disagreed with everything virtually she agreed with. And she spent time, she's reading Bible verses, she's talking to him about Jesus. And I'm like, man, I mean, you go, girl. I mean, I just, I was just, she did really well. But here's, here's why I bring this up. There's this thing, this, I think it was a, a British guy that came up with this thing called the Engler scale, and I'm not going to really go deep into this. If you want to come to coffee, we'll talk about it, but show this really quick, right? Don't freak out. All right, so here's this thing. It's, he calls it steps to Christ, and they'll make this really simple. This is really interesting. He says, we all kind of want, if you're someone who knows Jesus, you want to convince someone to believe like you do and to know Jesus immediately, and he says, that's ridiculous, because it all takes steps, right? And so the guy in the plane was down here, if you can't see it, number one or two, no awareness of God or some awareness. I mean, he kept saying, no, I don't believe in God. Finally, she got him to admit, well, I don't know. I mean, yeah, the Big Bang, I guess something had to kind of start it. Maybe there is something out there, but I don't believe that you can know it. I was like, oh, you got him to step two, that's good. Uh, and so, but here's the deal. What's step three? This is so far down. Meeting Jesus and deciding to follow him is step 10. What's step three? Contact with Christians, so interesting. Some of you here today who have not made decisions to follow Jesus might be because of step three. Nowhere near step seven, eight, nine, or ten, which are having more to do with who Jesus is. You have a hard time getting there because you have a hard time reconciling the way that people have treated you who claim to be someone who follows Jesus. Such a big deal. And here's the thing. She might have went home disappointed, and I wanted to catch her, and I couldn't. We got all caught, and I was trying to follow my son. But I wanted to catch her because I, she was super successful at taking this guy from step two to at least step three, that he had a positive connection with someone who knows Jesus, who disagreed with everything that he believed in, but did it in a way that was gracious and kind and loving. And if nothing else, she moved to step three. We all, oh, I wanted to get to step 10. And some of you have a hard time getting there yourselves because you've had the difficulty and the unfortunate 
circumstances of meeting with people who are not friendly, and I'm really sorry about that. Man, if it makes any difference, I'm sorry. We do it wrong. We do it wrong sometimes, and we, we all need to ask for forgiveness because we don't, we don't follow Jesus, right? And that's why he saved us. But I, I, what I want you to catch in your life is that in our community, what we're just hoping to do is help people have a positive connection with someone who knows Jesus, that they may start, number four, having an interest in him and start investigating him. But if you want to slam the door, go ahead and tell them how much you like this about politics or what you believe about this in politics, and you'll go ahead and get nowhere on the steps of bringing someone to Jesus. Because the, 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 those things, they don't even match, they don't even work. What you're trying to do is help create something of a relationship with someone that would want them to investigate more about, well, why do you believe the way you do? Or why are you so happy or joyful? But if you say you're a Christian and you're just a jerk, they would say, you know, I'm not really interested. Bill Hybels, I think I've said this to you before, when people know someone who follows Jesus, they're always wondering, am I trading up or trading down when I look at their life? It's true. So um, even John goes on and says this in 1 John 3, if anyone has material possessions and sees their brother and sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear, dear, dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Dr. Redding, the superintendent of the school district, out of response of what you gave the middle school students at this school, wrote me this amazing note, and I, I, I went to bring it for you, and I couldn't find it this morning because I was gone this week, but he basically said this, and the thing I really wanted to highlight was this. He said, your church is amazing in that they showed their faith through deeds. He doesn't even know it, but that's the motto of our church, right? It's on the bulletin. We, we talk about it a lot, expressing faith through love. And he was just so thankful. I'll find it and I'll read it to you. He wanted me just to thank you guys for showing your faith through deeds. And I think Dr. Redding may, may, know, may know who God is and be a believer. I have no idea. But nonetheless, either through him or the office or the students, what we did through contact with other people was make them, I hope, at least want them to know, well, why in the world would you do such a thing? Well, can I share with you about Jesus? What a better way than saying, I really think this or that about whatever it may be, Okay. So we're looking to develop and to care for people and to love them, even if we disagree with them. Number two, these two points kind of just support this, so simple. This is so simple, but there's something God's been working in my heart, and I just want to share it with you, is that you need to take time to investigate. And when I say investigate, I say the needs of your community. And as a church, we're doing this. This is kind of what's tying all together for me today with talking about our building is that we're a church in Gettysburg. Nehemiah 2, when Nehemiah was sent back to Jerusalem after all this time we've been reading about in Jeremiah to actually fix Jerusalem and build the walls and build the temple, one of the first things he did when he got back to Jerusalem is what it said in Nehemiah 2. He arrived there. Three days later, after dark, he went out through the valley gate, past the jackal's well, and over to the dung gate to inspect the broken walls and burn gates. Then I went to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but my donkey couldn't get through the rubble. I love the detail. So that it was still dark, I went up through the Kidron Valley instead, inspecting the wall before I turned back and entered through the valley gate. Most of those gates are still in Jerusalem today. I've walked through most of them. It's, it's rather fascinating. But the point of it is, of, of him even being specific, is he said, God called me back to Jerusalem in order to repair the city. And one of the first things he did was he went around and took time to investigate what the needs were. And I'm just going to tell you, part of caring for a city, part of caring for people and for neighbors, is you're going to have to take some of your time to investigate where the needs might be and investigate and build relationship with people. And I wrote a silly list, so many, things, many of these things Jerry and I have done recently, just as God has put in our heart to know our community more and know people more. You probably have a hundred even better ideas, but I just want to at least give you ideas to think about. I mean, part of the reason why I've coached and been an assistant coach, because I'm not necessarily a very good coach, but the reason I'm even involved in being a coach on my kids' sports teams is so that I can be around and spend time talking with other people. 
so I can spend time knowing other people, and it's amazing the conversations that opens up. Jerry's been um, uh, doing some things with the, um, the Parent-Teacher Association, um, and you know, some, you're just rubbing shoulders, dropping off meals at the school for teachers. Hey, just, hey, thank you for this, and building relationships. Join the Chamber of Commerce if you're a business owner. Invite neighbors over to dinner. Volunteer at a community organization, the Soup Kitchen, Cares Who Does Homeless, the hospital, the Children's Advocacy Group for Abuse. Um, you know what? Something God spoke to me a couple of years ago is to get the local newspaper. I like to read the news all the time, but I didn't always know the local news. And I do that now, and I try to read the paper as much as I can, not because I just want to know the news. I want to know what our city is going through so that as a church, we can direct ourselves to meet the needs of our city. You have to take time to investigate, to go around and look at the walls and see where they're crumbling down. Uh, getting involved even in your, your homeowners association. I don't know. <laughs> that may be dangerous. Um, it's, it's, it's about this, developing an awareness of other people, which means breaking free of our own self-absorption, right? And I know I don't get a lot of amens when you say that, but it's really true that we're all, quote, what we say is, right, I'm so busy, but we get trapped in when we're busy of just thinking about ourselves. And God, I think, comes and tells us, I'll take care of you and meet your needs if you will seek the peace and the prosperity of others. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? I, I think that's what he said there. He says that if you'll, if you'll pray for their prosperity, you will prosper as well. That's really my final point is that we need to invest in others. The whole idea of this is to get to a place of peace, shalom, which is one of the most beautiful and amazing Hebrew words. It's huge and encompassing of so many concepts. I thought I'd throw up a couple of the parts of the definition for you. It means completeness or soundness or welfare or peace, wholeness and safety and health, an absence of strife. But ultimately, shalom comes from entering into a state of wholeness and unity of restored relationship. That's where peace comes from. It's something's missing and so you're not whole anymore, but having shalom and having peace is that it's been restored. And that's why I just said a minute ago, verse seven, pray to the Lord for the city because if it prospers, you will prosper. What God is basically saying is if you will focus on bringing wholeness and completeness to your neighborhoods and your community, God will work on bringing wholeness to your life. It's a, it's a promise that he's given us. Focus on that and I'll take care of you. What I love about this idea of shalom is it really kind of rounds up the typical approaches. I say round up because they both fall a little short, both conservative and liberal approach oftentimes to reaching a community. Oftentimes conservative approaches, whether it be spiritual, is thinking that we just need to have people meet Jesus. Or if it's conservative in the sense of politics, it oftentimes stresses personal responsibility. Well, you know what, you can help some people, but other people, if, if they're not gonna help themselves, then that's where you gotta draw the line. Here's the problem that may be, may be good in politics or not. I don't know, I don't care. What God says for us as people who follow him is he says shalom is our responsibility. That that is my responsibility before I can blame someone else for their responsibility. It's my responsibility to bring wholeness and completeness into the areas in which I have my life. And it's not just simply, well, I hope people know Jesus and then stop there. No, it is really important that our community experience the peace of God. And we're supposed to be actively involved in that, whether we think someone deserves it or not. I don't need to read you 50 other verses for that, do I? I mean, but it, you can't stop just short at the top of salvation or short of saying, well, some people are there and we'll just wait for the others. No, it's our responsibility to somehow work that peace into it. Number two, though, the liberal approach which often stresses wholeness and unity, though, apart from the reality that we get here because of brokenness in relationship with God. And we can try our best, and it really ends up being some utopian ideals built on human arrogance that we can solve all the problems in the world without God. Are you kidding me? 
We're the ones who create the problems. We, we can't create a utopian society on our own. We're the ones who broke it. God gave us it, and we ruined it. And so we're not going to fix all that without a relationship with God being fixed. But at the same time, we're not just supposed to help certain ones and, 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 and wait for others. No, we, we build for the shalom of our communities and, and who we are. Listen, it takes investment. That's why this idea of peace in the Bible always has something to do with payment. It's, it's a payment needs to be made because there's someone that's in debt, someone who's fallen short, which means at times we're going to have to put ourselves at a disadvantage in order for someone else to have an advantage. And this is kind of the concept I want us to think about as we come to communion, that we have to sometimes put ourselves at a disadvantage in order for someone else to have an advantage. And the reason we can do that because we know and can trust that Jesus will help us wherever we put someone else first. 2 Corinthians 8 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through your poverty, you, through, his, uh, through your poverty, you might become rich. You would receive his riches. That's what Jesus did for us. He totally put himself at a disadvantage. In fact, he didn't put himself in a wheelchair. He cut his legs off and he gave them to us. He said, I'll take your sin, you take my righteousness. He made us right with God. Would you stand to your feet and close your eyes with me? We're going to take communion together here as we close this morning. I want us to go in with this kind of thought meditation this morning. Jesus just cared and loved us so much that he gave. The Father gave his son and Jesus gave himself that place on the cross and now Jesus calls us to really do the same for others and so for some of us today we need to come down and just freshly ask Jesus to forgive our sins to give us new life in him again just life that's focusing on him and following him but as part of that I think as part of that forgiveness today as you you seek the Lord I, I think it's time for us to say God I'm sorry for my prejudices I'm, I'm sorry for all the times I put myself first Lord give me an awareness Give me a, an understanding. Just help me to care for my city and for my community, for those that are, don't have what I have, and to just love them and to care for them. And so I, I'd just like you to ask your church that as you come down to communion, that some of you, you just do that. God, give us a greater heart for people and a greater heart for people we, we don't like and people we disagree with. God, just give us your heart for them in Jesus' name. And, and then you can also spend time just asking the Lord to cleanse you and to forgive you. The bread and the juice represent his body and his blood. And this is a moment that Jesus invites you to just remember again that he has completely restored your relationship with the Father. But it also gives us time to say, God, this area right here, boy, it still needs work. And just giving that to Jesus. So do that today. But secondly, some of you might be here and quite frankly, if it's not too practical, maybe that scale really makes sense to you. You know, you're just not really sure about Jesus. You're not sure about all these other religions. And if you're really honest, and maybe you wouldn't be with me or anybody else, but if you're really honest, partly why you struggle is because your contact with, with people who claim to be Christians or claim to know this or that have really hurt you and burned you. And you're taking out on Jesus what people who are trying to follow him have done. And today, I just want to offer you the opportunity, in a way, bypass that. You, you don't have to follow those steps in order. Today, Jesus invites you and says, come, come to me, I love you. And you've got questions, you've got things you don't understand, that's okay, if you will just trust me, if you open up your heart to me, you give me your sins and give me your life, Jesus will go with you and he'll be with you and he'll help you understand that. And listen, the, the, the places of bread and juice, that, that body and the blood of Jesus, he offers to you, every single one of you today. 
you can come down as well and just receive what God has given through us, given to us through his son, Jesus. So the worship team is going to sing, and I just want to invite you to come down. You can stay up front. You can stay at the tables. The tables are all around the room. There's some in the back, some up front. You just go where, where is easiest and most convenient for you, and take a moment or two just to ask the Lord to forgive you today and make you new. Jesus, thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for this time that we've had with you. And as we come down front, Lord God, just speak to us. Turn our hearts towards you. Turn our hearts towards each other. And may we trust you more today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.